Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. So today we're going to continue our study through the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, And we are currently uh, in chapter 11 is where we're going to start our study today. Uh, In the past few uh, weeks, actually really the past month or so, uh, we've been going through the, the life of David, King David. Uh, we've seen some incredible things happen to David. We've seen him be elevated to king from a shepherd. Uh, we've seen King David establish his kingdom in the, the city of Jerusalem and establish it as the capital. Uh, we've seen David do some pretty incredible things, and God is definitely using him in a great way. And last week we saw how King David used uh, and showed an, an example of God's kindness and his tenderness uh, towards, towards all people, even those who were his enemies, uh, towards Mephibosheth. Uh, so we saw that last week. Uh, and this week, things are going to take a big shift for David's life. Uh, something's going to happen. It's going to be a big change for David's life. And it happens in this chapter 11. This is a really p- pivotal chapter, so we're going to go through it. Um, we're just going to start by reading the first five verses, uh, and then we'll pray, and then we'll go through the rest of the study from there. So uh, let's start verse 1 of chapter 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't that Bathsheba, the, the daughter of Elam? And the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home and the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Uh, So let us pray and then we'll get into this uh, study this morning. Uh, Father God, we pause God uh, and we want to honor you uh, in every aspect of this day. God, be it through worship, be it through the study of your word, God. And I pray that we learn uh, from the story of David, God. I pray that you teach us and instruct us in the way that we are to go. Uh, and that these would not just be, be stories in a paper, God, but we would realize that this is truth. This is what actually happened, God. Uh, and you can show yourself through in these stories so wonderfully, Lord. Even ones that, uh, that are sad. So we thank you, God, for this time. And we pray that you honor it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, when I used to go to Liberty University, they used to have this, this leadership fair at the beginning of the school year. And all the leaders would come together, uh, and we would, you know, mingle and get to meet other people who are leaders on campus. Uh, and, I, and I met this girl one day named Elise, and she was a, a smaller girl, a little short. She was really cute, and she was nice. Uh, and she was just, you know, kind of soft-spoken. Hey, how you doing? My name is Elise. Nice to meet you. And I met her, and so we're talking. And uh, I said, well, nice to meet you. Enjoy the seminar. Enjoy the, the talk. So she sits down like a couple seats over from me. And uh, before the, 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 the real seminar gets going, they say, okay, are there any volunteers in the audience? We want to showcase some weird talents, some obscure talents does anyone have. So I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. Well, one guy raises his hand, he gets up there, and he like, speaks in like five different languages. And we're like, well, that's kind of cool. And like, another guy get up, gets up there and does like a breakdance push-up thing. And it was kind of cool. And then little Elise raised her hand. She goes, I, I have a talent. And they go, oh, sure, come on up. And so Elise comes up, and she, she gets the microphone, and she goes, hey, hey guys, my name's Elise. 
I'm happy to be here, and uh, I have a talent. I'm just going just gonna to perform it, and uh, hope you enjoy. And then she kind of steps back and kind of like prepares, and she, she starts to do this. She goes, and she starts to like suck in air, and everyone's like, what is she doing? I'm like, what? No, what? It's not really that talented. I can breathe too, okay. And she keeps sucking in, and then she pauses, and she lets out the most ridiculous burp you've ever heard in your life. I mean, it's just like, and you're like, everyone in the room is like silent, like, what just happened? How could this little, just innocent, you know, nice girl look forth this disgustingly hideous smelling belch? Like, what in the world? And it was like so uncharacteristic because you don't expect it. And we're like, we're like looking at the sound guy, like, did you put that on sound effect? Like, was that real? And she goes, I can do it again. And we're like, oh, and she, she did it again. She goes, and she burped. I'm like, what? You've got to be kidding me. Funny thing is, I, I looked at her differently when we talked after that, but we were still friends and still got to talk. But it was just hilarious because you see this little girl. She seems so innocent and so nice. And you wouldn't expect this, like, burp to come out of that. You know what I mean? Like, you'd expect it to be a guy. Like, if it was a guy, I'd be like, dude, peace, respect, good work. Now, but when it comes out of a girl, and you're like, what? Like, I don't expect that to come from you. And we read this story, and this happens with David, where he commits adultery, and we go, what, David? That's so uncharacteristic for you. Like, this is David we're talking about. As soon as you guys have been little kids, you might have heard of David killing giants. You've seen him on the flannel board, playing the harp. He's a sensitive guy. He's tender. He loves God. He's a man after God's own heart. And he's been doing so much right throughout the books. We've read how he showed tender to his en- he's been tender and kind to his enemies, forgiving, how he's been a good friend to Jonathan. We read how he respected King Saul, even though he was his enemy. And here's this great David who wrote so much of the Psalms uh, and, and played the harp for, for the King Saul and was just this, this great guy, this man of God. And he does this evil thing. And we look at that and go, why would you do that? That's so uncharacteristic. Like, you're David. You're like a superhero almost. You do everything right, and you seem like you have no weakness. But what we find in this passage, David makes a huge mistake that isn't characteristic to him. It isn't something we would expect David to do. And and it's a reminder uh, for us all. No one in this Bible, other than Jesus Christ himself, is perfect. No one in this room or the the pastor on the stage right now, no one is perfect. And David shows this, and and David makes a mistake, and it's almost kind of, to be honest, like a relief. It's kind of a relief because we can say, okay, you know what? No one in this world gets it entirely right. Even David in the Bible makes mistakes. That doesn't justify our mistakes. See, David was deserving a punishment for his sins, just as we are for our sins. We're equal before God looking at us. But David was also just as in need of God's mercy and grace as we are. Uh, and, and as we go through this story, I just want you to remember that, that even David, even David himself can make mistakes and fall and do evil before God. Uh, but what we, what we should do in looking at this story is we should look at what David did wrong and we should now be careful in our own hearts to not make the same mistakes. This mistake was made about 5,000 years ago. Imagine if a mistake you made 5,000 years ago was in the Bible and people are still reading about it. I mean, it's a Sunday and we're opening up the Bible and reading about this dude's mistake. 
What if when you ate a cookie from when you were three years old and it was in the Bible? And then Barrett opened the cookie jar and ate from the cookie which he was forbiddeth to eat. And shame was brought upon Barrett. Like how, like, how embarrassing would it be? Like, oh man, I don't want that story to be in the Bible. But here's David and he's making a huge sin. And it's in the Bible. So uh, let, let's learn from this wisdom and learn from this story. Uh, and, and take some truth from it uh, as we go through. So uh, the, the story starts off. Uh, and it wasn't just like suddenly David made a mistake. We see a progression, if you will, of David as he gets closer and closer to making this mistake uh, and committing adultery with this woman. And it, and it starts off with this. Um, Leslie, I'm having a little bit of trouble. I don't, I don't know what's going on. My remote won't work. Could you just change when I say Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Uh, and, and the first mistake that David makes is this. He neglects to follow God's plan. He neglects to follow God's plan. See, the, the story starts off, and it says, in the spring, at a time when kings were to go off to war, David sent Joab and the king's men and the whole army to war. And they fought, and they destroyed the Amorites and sieged Rabbah. And it says, but David remained in Jerusalem. You guys remember how a a couple weeks back we talked about how God's plan for David, his purpose for David was for him to be king and for him to lead Israel in battle, to to establish Israel and to to defeat all their enemies. Well, back then, they, they fought war almost like a seasonal thing. Kind of like we play football in the fall. Well, they go to war in the spring. They don't wear jerseys or tights or throw a pigskin, but they kind of wear armor and go out there and fight each other and kill each other. But, but back then, it was the time of season when David should have been leading the army out there. He should have been leading the army out there to, to fight against Israel's enemies, to protect Israel. But instead of doing what God wants him to do and to go fight, he pulls aside his general Joab and he says, Joab, hey, listen, you know, I've, I've been to a lot of battles, and I was wondering if instead of me going you take the army and lead them, and I'll stay here. So David stays in his beautiful palace, and he doesn't go off to war and doesn't go off to fight. And what happens is, and we, we don't know necessarily the reason as to why David didn't go. Maybe he was unmotivated to go. Maybe he was tired from fighting. Maybe he was feeling lazy. Maybe he just couldn't get out of bed or like a marathon of SpongeBob SquarePants was on. He didn't want to leave the TV. I don't know why. Maybe he just didn't feel it anymore, if you will. He didn't feel motivated to do what God would have him to do. So he stayed in Jerusalem rather than going off to battle to fight. And he stayed in his palace. And what happened was, slowly but surely, David reached a point where he was left unoccupied. He was bored and he was restless. And when you have a man of action who's unoccupied, when you have a a man who's, who's forthcoming and goes forward and does things, and he's now restless and bored and tired, It's usually a dangerous combination. Uh, When I moved uh, to Virginia, I moved from Atlanta, Georgia, here. Uh, I moved about six years ago. We moved during the summer, my brothers and I and my family. And uh, my brothers and I really like to be outside and to play and have friends. And the problem was we moved during the summer. So we came to Virginia, and we didn't know anybody. And we didn't have school to occupy our time. And we weren't on any sports teams. And we're so kind of like, we were trying out different churches, but we didn't have a church home to go to and meet people. So literally, it's me and my brothers in our house, staring at each other, bored to death because the Wi-Fi isn't hooked up. We didn't have internet. We didn't have our TVs hooked up yet. And we're just sitting there playing chess with each other. Like, we are bored, okay? And we're restless. And we don't have any tasks to do, anything physical to do. 
So slowly but surely, we became, began to come up with ideas. We didn't have anything to occupy our time, so we came up with things to occupy our time. And sometimes they weren't the best ideas. And I'm going to tell you what we did, but don't necessarily do this yourself. Please don't tell your parents, oh, Barrett did this. He, he said it's okay. No, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you something I did that was wrong. Don't do this. We got bored around my house, so we started to slowly progress into more dangerous things. First, we started, and we're like, hey, what if we went on the roof and just ate Skittles? Talked about life. So we went on the roof and sat there and, like, eating Skittles and throwing them off the roof and really dangerous because we almost fell off a few times and squirrels would be above us or bats in the, like, well, bats were kind of in the roof. It was scary. So we're on the roof, and that's kind of dangerous. And we're like, okay, well, nothing happened. Let's, let's do something else. And so then we got our mattresses, because not all our mattresses were hooked up yet and were, like, in the proper rooms. And we had this big, nice staircase, and we would slide down it into our basement and fall onto the carpet. It was awesome and horribly dangerous at the same time, because you'd be, like, hitting, like, the, the handrail down there. And then the third thing we did, which was probably the most dangerous of them all, we had this big hill outside our, our yard, like a road that went by our house. And we'd start at the top of the hill, and someone would be on a bike. And across the street was a construction area, and they had all this dirt, and it was like in clods. And so they would come down, one person would come down on the bike, and the other two would stand on each side of the road, and we would throw dirt clods at the person riding the bike and try and knock them off the bike. It was a horrible idea. I don't know what we were thinking. We called it Sink the Battleship, and it was actually inspired by something my dad told us a story about. But So we're, we're throwing clods of dirt at each other and, like, hitting each other, and you're trying to, like, ride the bike, and, like, it's hitting your tires and your feet and your shoes and trying to knock each other over. And eventually my mom had to sit us down and be like, guys, you're going to not survive the week. Find something to occupy your time, or you probably won't make it through this week. And David finds himself in a situation where his time isn't occupied. He's not doing anything with his hands. He's not physically, you know, working towards what God would have him to do, and he's unoccupied. And what happens is Satan sees the opportunity, and Satan steps in and says, hey, I noticed, David, you're not busy. Let, I can show you some options of what to do. I can give you some options of what to do. So this restless nature is in David, and he, one evening he's sleeping, and he just can't sleep. It's towards the end of the day. Maybe he's worn his pajamas like all day and hasn't even left the bed, had breakfast delivered to him in bed. So he gets up, and he's like, I'll just go on my roof and walk around. Kind of like I did, actually, but their roofs were actually designed for it. So he goes on the roof, and he's, he's wandering around. He's looking around, and then he sees a woman bathing. Back then, they would bathe on their roofs uh, occasionally, and they had these, these big tubs. Uh, they would get in, and they'd wash themselves, and David sees this. And what happens is David is exposed to sin. He's exposed to a temptation. This temptation comes to him. He's exposed to it. Uh, and, and two things happen for David. The first is David saw with his eyes the temptation. We see this in verse, verse 2. It says, David saw Bathsheba. He saw this woman bathing on the roof. And then the idea came into his head. Let's say, for example, you see someone and they're working with their iPod in the library and they leave it and they walk away. And then you see their iPod. Just sitting there. And you think to yourself, that's kind of cool. I kind of like that. It looks cool. And, and then the, the thought kind of resounds in your head. What if that was my iPod? What if I took that? And that sin begins to grow as you think upon it. But it all starts usually with seeing or observing or noticing something. In Genesis, when, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, we see that Eve saw the tree of life. She saw the fruit. 
that God had said, I don't want you to eat of this tree. But she saw the fruit and she saw that it looked good. And so she saw of it and then she went forward and she took of it. But it all started with her eyes and seeing this was a possibility. And David seized Bathsheba. And the Bible tells us she was beautiful. It says she was a, a beautiful woman. But the problem is this. It doesn't matter how beautiful she is. It doesn't matter that he saw this. David could have at any point looked away and never thought of it again and walked away. Sometimes we use the excuse that, oh, the temptation was just so great. Or there was just so much building against me that I I just couldn't resist. Like maybe you're sitting in the back seat with your siblings and your little sibling is sitting next to you and going, hey, do you think this noise is irritating? And you're like, yes, I do. Please stop that or I'll hit you. And they keep doing it and keep doing it. They're making faces at you. And finally, you just wear back and you smack them right in the face with authority as the older brother and or sister. Right in the face. Give them a good, you know, good, good like, look on the, on the shoulder, on the, on, the, on the chin. And your parents go, why did you do that? And you go, but they were so irritating. Mom, you don't understand. It was so, I, couldn't, I couldn't help it. Like she was asking for me to hit her in the face. Come on. And you think, well, surely it's justified because it was so much. You think the temptation was so much, I just had to. And and, and in this story, maybe David thought to himself, well, she's just so beautiful, I can't resist. I can't help it. But there's no justifiable reason in a temptation. It can never be too much that we can handle. A temptation is never greater than we're able to say no because ultimately we have the choice. And and David had the choice in seeing her just to, to walk away and to not think about it again. But what he did was, he kept looking and he explored the option. We see in verse 3, after he saw the beautiful woman, what he said to himself was, well, why don't I find out about her? So he sent someone. He said, someone, go find out about her. You see, back then they didn't have Facebook, so they couldn't Facebook stalk. They couldn't see his Bathsheba in a relationship, where did she live, like all the details of who she's related to. So, so, so what he did was he sent someone to, to seek out, was it a possibility? And he found out that her husband uh, was a a man named Uriah. And and Uriah was in the army of Israel. So when David sent the army off, Uriah went with them. And David knew this, that he was gone at war. So in his mind, as he explores this option, he thinks, hey, I could get away with this. Hey, her her husband is is gone. I, I could get away with this. And no one would know. Her husband is gone. As he explores it, the option becomes greater, and and Satan is whispering in his his ear, David, you can do this. No one will know about it. And he's saying, look, look at this girl. You can accomplish this. And David, after after seeing the temptation, after exploring the option, now goes forward and commits the sin itself. He actually commits the sin itself after he saw and it's kind of a, a progression. Can you guys see the progression? Because he wasn't doing what God told him to do. So he was in this position where he's bored and occupied. And then he sees this girl. And then he explores the option. Well, this is a possibility. And then he commits the sin of having adultery with her. Uh, of having relations with her, even though she's not his wife. Uh, a couple weeks back, maybe a couple months back, actually, um, my sister had a friend come over in the neighborhood to her house. And she rode this little pink moped over. And so my sister and I are sitting in the kitchen talking. And then this moped goes by. And I see the girl go by on the moped. And I'm like, that is awesome. Look at that thing. It's like zipping along. Like, no, that's so cool. And so it parks out front. 
and she kicks it, the stand out. She walks in, hey guys, what's up? And they go, hey. And so they go down to the basement and um, they're watching a movie or hanging out or whatever. So I go outside and I take a look at the moped. I just, you know, walk over. Oh, wow, look at that. It's got those pink stripes on the side. I bet this thing can go like, probably like two miles an hour, maybe three miles an hour. It's pretty fast. Look at the little, really, that's gorgeous. Would you look at it? I just kind of started looking at it, and then I kind of explored it. Well, I wonder if it can handle my weight. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Oh, man, these handles are nice. Yeah, I, I can see myself riding down the coast on this thing, California. Yeah, I just started, like, thinking about it in my head. And what do I do? I, I look around and see if I can get away with it. I, I don't see my sister. They're probably in the basement. I'm like, I'll take it for a little spin. So I, I turn it on. I, I crank the handle. And at first it didn't move because all my weight was on it. And it was like, and I gave it like a little push. And then it started going and it kind of picked up. I'm like, yeah, this is feeling kind of good. Yeah, I can feel the wind in my hair. Yeah, the pink doesn't really match anything I'm wearing, but it's still kind of nice. Like, yeah, I'm like cruising along. and I'm like whipping on the sides, like kind of like tilting as far as I can go without falling on both sides, both sides. And, and I, after riding a little bit, I kind of killed the battery because I don't think it was used to carrying that much weight and so the battery weighed down after about five minutes. So I'm like, I'm just going to put this back now. So I, I park it like exactly how she had it so she wouldn't So like I turn the handle like right where it was and put the kickstand there. I put it down. I tiptoe inside and I walk in the kitchen and my sister and her friend are just laughing on the floor like at my face like, were you riding her moped? I go, I was testing it for safety reasons. <laughs> I didn't want you to drive home and, like, it falls apart. And I think it had a, a flat tire or something. Like, I'm, just, I'm testing it out. And they're, like, laughing in my face. Like, I can't believe you did that. But it was, like, a progression. It wasn't just, like, I jumped on the moped. I thought to myself, I saw the moped. I'm like, well, that'd be cool if I rode that. And I explored it. I'm like, it could probably carry my weight. You know, this, this might work out. And then I actually committed in riding the moped when it wasn't mine. And I didn't exactly ask to ride the moped. For some reason, she won't let me ride it anymore. She thinks I killed the battery, but whatever. That's another story. But, but David finds himself in the same place where, where he sees this sin. He explores it, and then he commits this sin. And he, he actually uh, sins against uh, Uriah. He sins against Bathsheba and all of Israel, and most importantly, God. David commits this sin. We never thought he would. But, but the, the sad part is it, it goes deeper than just this. David continues to sin. It doesn't just stop here. In the rest of the chapter, here's what happens. David thinks to himself, after uh, Bathsheba comes to him and says, David, I'm pregnant. He goes, oh no. People are going to find out. They're going to find out that Uriah's off at war, but Bathsheba had this baby and he's not even here. And they're going to they're gonna, they're search out, like ask, who, who did this? How did this happen? And they might find out it's me. So David says, I, I don't want that embarrassment. I don't want to have to deal with the consequences. I'm going to try and cover it up the best I can. And so David seeks it out to cover up this sin. He seeks to hide it. And what he does is he invites Uriah back from the war. He sends a messenger and says, bring Uriah back. So Uriah comes back. And David says to Uriah, you know, how's, hey, how's the battle going? How are things looking at the war? And David doesn't really care, but the reason he brought him back was for this purpose. He said, all right, Uriah, well, that's, that's great, you're back. How about, how about you go home? How about you spend a few days here with your wife? So in that way, when Bathsheba, people can tell that she's pregnant, they'll think, oh, well, Uriah's, Uriah came back from the war. It's her child. That was David's plan, but the problem was Uriah wasn't a man of outstanding character. 
Uriah didn't go home that night after he spoke to the king. He stayed in the, in the palace area. And so David brought him forward, and when David heard that he hadn't gone home, uh, he asked him. Uh, we see it in verse 10. So read in verse 10. Uh, it says, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you just go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in open fields. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Uriah says, look, my men, the soldiers of Israel, are out there fighting on a battlefield. My commander, Joab, is sleeping on a rock right now. Who am I to go home and sleep on a bed while they're doing this hardship? You see, Uriah was focused. Uriah had a mission. Uriah was doing God's work in fighting this battle. And he was so focused on the battle. He, he didn't think of himself. He didn't even think of, of giving himself any pleasure or luxury of going home and resting. He said, no, i got to focus on getting back to my men, on focusing on my mission. You see, Uriah was so focused on what God wanted him to do, he, he wouldn't even think of doing anything else. Even taking care of himself sometimes. So, so David says, okay, well, this will not work. If Uriah doesn't go home, then people are going to find out. This is horrible. So David now went from committing adultery to lying, and he does something incredible. Incredible. He, he breaks one of the, the biggest in our minds that we think of, the biggest sins. And he seeks to murder Uriah, to kill Bathsheba's husband. And you're thinking in your mind, David, no! You're David! You're on a coloring book that I had in third grade. Like, no, David. This is not the David that I know. Why would you do this? And and we think in our our, our minds, why would David act in such a way? To murder. And it's almost like you want to reach out in the page and, like, stop him. Like, if you guys have ever been watching, like, a scary movie and there's, like, a noise upstairs, someone grabs a flashlight and go, hey, I'll check it out. And you're like, no, don't go upstairs. Don't you know there's some horrible evil monster that's about to eat your face off? Like, why would you go upstairs? Come on, don't they ever learn in these horror movies? Don't watch them. I hate scary movies, by the way. Don't, honestly, don't watch them. Don't get into that. But you almost want to reach in and say, David, don't do this. Please don't. But, but David continues on. And we see in verse 14, when he can't get Uriah to go home, we catch him in verse, verse 14. And it says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, the commander of Israel. And he sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front lines where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So David sends a message to the commander. And the irony is Uriah is actually holding a letter in his hand that has this message. And he takes it to Joab and he gives it to Joab. And it says, what I want you to do is right when you guys go up to fight, put Uriah right in the front of the fighting, right where it's fiercest. And then when the fighting starts, have all the rest of the men back away and leave Uriah alone on the front. So sure enough, David listens, I mean, Joab listens to King David. The fighting's fierce up front, and that's where they put Uriah, and all the men back away, and, and Uriah's left alone in the front, and he falls, and he dies. Now you might say, well, well David didn't directly kill Uriah, it was the, the enemy that did. But David brought forward this death. David, in his authority as king, put Uriah in this position to die. He desired for him to die, and we know even in his heart, if he desired and hated Uriah enough to kill him, that's murder itself. But he planned this out, and he caused Uriah to die. 
and he committed murder. It's so sad to see David go from this point of where he's falling after God, he's killing giants, he's winning victories, he's the king of Israel, and now he's a murderer. And now he's an adulterer, and now he's a liar. You've got to be kidding me. This is David we're talking about. How did this happen? How did David go from a place where, where now he's trying to cover up his own sin, where now he's trying to conceal the things he's done wrong? Because you see, sin is, a, sin is at a point where, where it happens like this. When you open the door a little bit to sin, it's harder to shut. When you make it available in your life and you begin to sin a little bit, it, that door opens a little bit to sin, and sin kind of puts its foot there and tries to widen that door and cause you to sin more to, to cover up your sin. And we see David lying and committing murder, trying to cover up the sin he committed. So the question is this. What can we learn from this story? What, what advice can we take? How could David have avoided this problem? And, and how can we avoid in our lives, making the mistake of sinning, making the mistake of going down this path. And and we find that answer uh, in Galatians chapter 5. So you guys could turn to Galatians chapter 5. It's in the, the New Testament. We're going over there. And we're going to be in verse 16 through 17. We have it on the screen if you can't find it, so don't worry about it. Let's read along here. Galatians 5, 16 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to sinful nature. They are at conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. What the passage is saying is this. If you are walking by the Spirit, if you're living by the Spirit, if you're doing what God wants you to do, and you want what God wants you to do, then you won't do what Satan wants you to do. If you're so focused on doing the task that God gives you, You're not going to think about doing anything else. You won't think to get in trouble. You won't give in to the temptations around you. You'll be so focused on following after God that that spirit and wanting to do what God wants you to do will be in contrast to everything else. I always hated shopping going when I was a kid because I'd have to go with my mom whenever we went to a store. And me and my brothers one time went with my mom. Well, not one time, all the time. I'd always be in a store, my mom would be shopping, and she'd be like, which rug do you like better, the blue one or the red one? I'd be like, Mom, I don't care. I just want to go home, please. I just don't want to be in TJ Maxx anymore. I don't want to be in JCPenney anymore. Just send me home, please. But I was, you know, at an age where I couldn't be home alone, and we didn't always have a babysitter. So my mom would drag us to these stores, and we would always get into trouble. We'd always be doing something we weren't supposed to be doing, like riding a cart down the aisle. Or One time, actually, my brother, we were in cash registers, like they have a little divider for cash registers. And my brother was just so bored. And because we didn't have a task to do, because we were just kind of wandering and restless, we were making trouble. And my brother was on one of the little like dividers. It was like a steel bar. And then it went down. It divided to the cash registers. And he's like spinning on it. Like, hey, spin me, boys. Woo! And he's like having fun, like spinning around on it. He's like a little kid, like five or six or something. And so we, we actually 
we grabbed his feet when he's holding the bar, and we spun him. And so he flips down, and there was another bar at the bottom. And he flies in, and his tooth, his front tooth, chips the bar. And it comes off. And of course, he does cries like crazy. And my mom's like, oh, she has to like stop what she was doing and like help my brother pick up his chipped tooth off the ground. And we had to get ice warm and put it on there. And because we were so, we weren't occupied, we were restless, we kept getting into trouble, like chipped tooth. And after we probably paid the medical bills for the tooth, my mom's like, okay, guys, I have an idea. She brought us together and she says, guys, here's what I want you to do. The next time we go into a store, we're going to get a buggy. And what I want you to do is I want you to fill this buggy with hidden treasure around the store. Like, hidden treasure? And she's like, yeah, there's hidden treasure. What I want you to do is go around the store and find empty bottles. Find trash. Find hangers that are broken. Find those little, like, you know, like on the hangers, they have the little size, like the circle size things on there, like large, small, medium. Find those on the ground. I want you to put them all in this buggy and collect as much treasure as you can. I'm like, okay, cool. So the next time we go into a store, we roll in, and we're like, a special ops Navy SEAL team. We're like, Delta 4, 6, aisle 4, aisle 7, go, go, go. And we're like split up in the storm. We're like finding hangers that are broken on the flower and picking up like little size things off the ground. And we collected all the bottles and all the trash that was in the store. Like maybe someone had dropped a, like a bag of chips or something. We're putting it in this buggy and we have this buggy going around. So my mom finishes and literally she could be in there for an hour. And we would be so focused. We would clean the entire store. So we'd go to the checkout line, and my mom would walk through with her goodies or whatever, and we'd walk through, and we'd have all this trash, and we'd throw it away for the ladies, and they were really appreciative. But the, the joke was, we were so focused on finding this trash, we were so focused on doing what our mom told us to do, we didn't get in any more trouble. In fact, the ladies in the store loved us because we cleaned up everything in the store. We cleaned up all the hangers and collected it for us. Because we were so focused on doing our task, we didn't have time. We weren't restless. We weren't looking for something else to do. And we didn't get into trouble. And what this verse in Galatians is saying is, if you are so focused on doing what God wants you to do, if you're focused on doing the mission that God puts before you, going to battle and fighting after him, like Uriah's mind was so occupied with thinking about what God wanted him to do, then we won't find ourselves in a situation where we're doing what Satan wants us to do. We won't find ourselves in a situation when we're not focusing on God. And we'll be so obsessed and so filled up going after what God wants us to do and his plan for our life, we won't be distracted by the temptations around us. And that's a a great way for us to live. And if, if only David had done this, if David had been focused and at battle, doing what God wanted him to do, he wouldn't have been on the roof looking for something to do, wandering around without a motive. He wouldn't have seen Bathsheba. He wouldn't have explored the option. He wouldn't have committed the sin and he wouldn't have tried to cover up the sin. And he wouldn't commit all these sins. Even murder and adultery and lying. So what we must do in our own hearts is, is focus on what God wants us to do. Focus on doing his will. And then we can ignore the will or the temptations around us. Let's close in prayer, guys. Father God, we thank you for this, this glorious day we have, God. But we pray that we learn from the story of David. God, might we pursue after you and what you want us to do, God, and forsake and forget all the temptations of this world. Might we be so focused on doing what you would have us to do that no temptation could tempt us, that we wouldn't reach a point where where sin would have mastery over us, and that, God, we would follow hard after you. We love you, God. 
Thank you for this glorious, awesome Sunday. It's your name we pray. Amen.